Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's your boy Johnny Bananas, and I'm going to be covering a brand new season of the Challenge USA on CBS that, of course, I will be completely dominating on my podcast, Death Taxes and Bananas, on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. Head over to that feed and follow us on Spotify so you never miss an episode. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. All right, everybody, welcome back to another special edition of The Pod Has Spoken. While we're here twiddling our thumbs, waiting for season 45 to come out, we have a very special surprise for you. Because up until now, the off-season content has pretty much been me, uh, which is special in and of itself. (laughs) (laughs) We had Dalton Ross on a couple weeks ago, and that was fun. But last weekend, I was staying at a very, very good friend's house who happens to also be the executive producer of Survivor. And I begged him multiple times to come on this show. And he's like, I'm more of a behind the scenes type of guy. But either I was convincing enough or he loves me enough. Either way, we have Matt Van Wagnon. Matt, how goes it? Tyson, the tables have turned. Right? Are you nervous? Oh, well, it's funny. Do you remember the I did the very first interview with you back in yeah. season 18, Token Jeans. And do you remember the advice that I gave you? I don't remember the advice, but I do remember our backstory a little bit. Yeah. So I got on the show. Matt introduced himself because he had ties to Utah and Utah culture. And so we kind of bonded over like being of a similar background and knowing similar destinations in our life. So Matt was like a go-to guy for me initially because you're trying to find like somebody that like you can kind of latch on to for direction. And I remember you, I think basically you were like, hey, this is our fir- the first one that's going to maybe make TV. Like this one is on camera. This stuff yeah. will be on TV. It was before the game had started. That was, the fir- that was the first season we ever did interviews before the game started. Oh, it was? Yeah, that was the first one. So you were, the, you were a tester. I was, I was. <laughs> and have, did you stop after that? Was that no, the- <laughs> no, no, we changed everything we did it from then on. That was it. That was the way we did things. All I remember was not feeling good about the interview. I was like, I screwed that up. Like I, and you at the end, you were like, you're nervous. I was like, yeah, I am nervous. Like that's true. And then you probably gave me some advice. After well, I, I think what I told you even to begin with, is like, Hey, just, just relax. And you're like, Dude, how can I relax? You're telling me to relax. That's not so easy. (laughs) No, but it was, I mean, but that was, I mean, I love that season. That season still evolved. You know, I started on season 14 as a producer, was promoted actually right before your um, third season, uh, Blood versus Water. But season 18, Token Chains, is still one of my favorites. The cast was amazing. And actually, for you, I actually did some preparation. Good. You, You know what this yellow notebook is. 
I have in my hands a yellow notebook that producers, when I was a producer on the beach, producers, any any contestant uh, knows these very well, but the producers are out on the beach and they're writing down notes of what happened during the day so they know what kind of questions to ask. And so I actually went to my uh, 1801 Timbira notebook and I wanted to see what the first thing that I wrote, because if you remember, you guys started on a trek through the Brazilian highlands, which was actually pretty brutal. The hardest thing I've ever done on Survivor, to be honest, like yeah. was day one of like as everybody's like, what's the hardest thing? I was like, honestly, day one of my first season, I haven't done anything harder since. First thing that I wrote was they uh, at 236, they dropped the pots. Um, so they had less water. And Debbie wrote, said, buy water. Hope we don't regret it, which you did. And then uh, 10 minutes later, uh, Tyson eats one of the bananas and Candace and Debbie, tells on me. And well, and well, you were you were very upfront about it. And Candace and Debbie started giving you shit. And you said, hey, I'm a rebel, which I think actually kind of set the tone for your survivor <laughs> career. And then afterwards, you shit talk Sierra for a while and said she it doesn't look like she wants to be here. So I had the notes. I that was that was the first thing I had. And then a mere fifteen minutes later, Ben Wade told everybody that he wanted to be called coach. So the rest <laughs> is history. Which I haven't looked at this thing since two thousand eight. So it's it was a real pleasure to to look at this for you. I don't get to peer inside those things. So mm-hmm. like I we see the producers jotting down. I've always assumed that it was obviously like notes on the day. What's important to question, but also do you look at those when you're creating the story and editing? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what we usually do is, you know, we have all the notes and then we actually type everything up so that we have it kind of uh, a record of it. And then as we put the episodes together, we kind of look through all of the highlights, and like the good moments. And we see how an episode can be put together. But the truth is there's things that we don't write that we find when we're going through posts that are sometimes the little gems. You know, we can't, we, you know, as producers, we're not seeing everything. There's a lot of people who are around. We're catching most things we're hearing. We're getting feedback from camera operators and segment producers. But occasionally, there'll be some nugget of something funny or just a reaction or some some little beat that we don't see till post. And those are the, the real things, the real fun things to find. Yeah, those are fun. I, yeah. uh, I, I want to go back to the Token Chains trek real quick. Yeah. Because now you've brought this like flood of memories for me. Uh-huh. And I remember going on the truck and you guys had convinced us it was just another photo shoot, like game clothes, photo shoot. And then at some point we're like, this is really it. Like when things got started getting more, there was a more serious feel to it. Yeah. And I remember we took like a potty break on the truck. They, they stopped and everybody was allowed to use the bathroom or get a drink from the stream or whatever. And I accidentally stepped on a pot and I saw Candace Smith tattletelling to Jeff Probst <laughs> about me step accidentally stepping on a pot and breaking it. And I was like, come on, are you kidding me? And that's when I was like, well, I already broke a pot. I may as well eat this banana. So they had food on the truck and it, everybody was too afraid to do anything. And Riley, who I haven't introduced, but you know, he's always here lurking. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> lurking. <laughs> I, at that point, was like, I'm kind of hungry and I'm just going to eat some of this food before Jeff even tells us to like, go and scramble for the food. So I did that and that did rile some people up. A lot of people, the second I ate it, I think every single person in the truck's like head just like <laughs> swiveled towards me and I was like, BFD guys, BFD. Well, it, it's funny because I, I do love that season and I look at, you know, 
my survivor career and it kind of like you have followed along. So uh, I actually didn't get the opportunity to talk with you during Heroes versus Villains because I think you got voted out too early. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, that, that was that, that was that was not a uh, that was not a highlight. That was not a highlight. But Still then, one of the most memorable moments, though, in yes, Survivor. Of, of course, I mean, and also again one of my favorite seasons. I mean, truthfully, mm-hmm. the seasons that you were involved in. I don't know if it's you, the people around you, but those have been some of my favorites. All top tens, honestly, yep. in the fandom too. And, and you know what? And I agree because I actually, um, you know, Blood versus Water was a big swing for us. You know, it was a it was a format change, and I had just gotten promoted, so I felt the pressure on that one. And you came through, um, and I thought that season was great. We had some fantastic people on that season. That was fun watching you win. I was I was happy for you. And then um, seeing you play again in season 40, where it felt like you were a much different person. I mean, that was a thing. The first two seasons, I think you were kind of a, a, the same person a little bit. Then when you played the third time, there was definitely, um, I think you came in with more of a business mentality, maybe a little bit more humble. You were with Rachel. And then to come and see you play again in the fourth time as a father, that, w- that was a lot of fun. And, and it kind of echoes my experiences on Survivor, starting off as a producer, eventually uh, getting married and then having a daughter who gets to sometimes come out on location now. I I found there's a nice little balance between our two survivor experiences. Yeah, except for the nation has watched mine and you. (laughs) Thank God. Thank God I don't don't have to be on camera. Like I said, I'm only doing this because I love you. I know you are. I know. uh, I keep telling myself that too. I know that is why. You talked about like taking your family out on location and stuff. I want to get into what does your role in Survivor entail? Can you give us like just some of the bullet points that are the most important and intriguing to the audience? Yeah, I mean, there are four executive producers. Jeff is executive producer and showrunner, and he kind of oversees everything. And then there's, uh, then I'm one of the executive producers. And then there's two other executive producers who... Are they under you? No, we're all all on the same level. Jeff Jeff is, like I said, Jeff's the showrunner. I deal with mostly creative things. And then Jesse and Kahaya, Jesse Jensen, and Kahaya Pearson, they deal with all the organizational stuff. Um, they deal with everything that makes the show run um, and everything with finances, with contracts with foreign countries, with securing our locations, dealing with tribes, hiring crews. I mean, they have a massive job that doesn't get a lot of attention, but that's a really big part of it. So they're kind of on one side. Um, I'm on another and then Jeff kind of oversees everything. But so I, I, I couldn't deal. I, I, I didn't do well in accounting in college. I w- couldn't deal with any of those, uh, that aspect of the job. So I get to deal with mostly the creative things, which is everything in pre-production, um, working with Jeff on creative, um, working with a team of people. Really, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's a team of people, but working, uh, on the cast, which is a massive decision. And then in production, um, helping uh, when we're everything from rehearsals for challenges to talking about what stories we're going to follow. And then in post-production, where we are right now, um, putting the episodes together or getting cuts out to Jeff for him to look at and give us notes. Um, That's a general idea of of what I do. Okay. I like it. And well, first of all, you said all these people takes a team. How many people? How many people are directly employed by Survivor? I mean, there's hundreds. It's, I mean, if you include post-production, we've, when we're out on location, something like 250 international crew, um, which are people from all over. It's 22 different countries represented. So there's people from all over the globe 
Um, usually when we shoot Survivor and we've bounced around, we've hired local crew. And so over the years, we've uh, hired some people from each country to kind of build up our crew. And then when we're in Fiji, there's hundreds of Fijian locals who also work. And then there's an entire staff on top of that who work in post-production. So we're talking, you know, hundreds of people year round. I mean, it is, there's no real break on Survivor. I mean, I, I started in 2006 and, you know, you get a couple weeks off at Christmas and you can do some trips here and there. But basically I've been working, you know, uh, every day on Survivor since then. So have I. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. That's how you pay for that house. I know. It is a different, <laughs> it is a different work though. Mine yeah. is more just like emotional torture and regret uh, from things I should have done to be way cooler on TV. Like mostly just that. Who's cooler than you on TV? That's what I'm saying. But imagine if I had been even cooler. I can't. (laughs) (laughs) But I can. And that's what I live with every day. Let's get to these uh, fan questions because some of them are kind of in line with, they're all in line with your tasks. And when I went through these questions, Mm -hmm. they had to pass some standards. And one of the standards was that I couldn't answer it myself. Like, why are we asking Matt a question that I can answer? That makes sense. Can I ask the first fan question? Yeah, go for it. Yeah, I guess if you want to talk. Yeah, I, I kind of <laughs> do. I feel like I, I don't want to okay. get shut out. Uh, Matt, can you tell us about this prop behind you? This uh, this taco oh, sign? Well, okay. And I realize we're not on a visual um, medium with a podcast, but anyone who can. That's okay. Our listeners can use their imagination. They can use it. I have a sign behind me with a skull and it says Calavera Tacos on it. And for any of the real super fans out there, they'll recognize it from a reward um, that we had when we were down in Nicaragua, um, where we set up a taco stand on the beach. And Keith Nail, rest in peace. Keith Nail was, I mean, just just a moment, Keith Nail was one of the most entertaining, fun players we've ever had out there. I, I love Keith. He, he, you never knew what he was going to say next. You never knew what was going on, but it was always going to be fun and funny. He had a real zest for life. So it was really sad to see him go, but he, he went on that reward and it was a, uh, a shack that we built out on the beach. And then after we were done with it, we actually done shooting it. We actually used it as a place for us on days off to go surfing out on the beach and cook food there and did different things. And then when we were wrapping it up, I said, Hey, is there any chance I could get that sign? And sure enough, they shipped it back here and it ended up on my wall in the office. That's for the real, that's for some real survivor trivia out there. I have a question now that's yeah. also not one of these fan questions. So going back to this and you explained the whole memory behind the sign. And every time I've talked to you about survivor, you seem to be able to recall pretty much every moment that you've worked on. Is that the case? And, and why? I mean, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say every moment. That's probably an exaggeration, but I remember a lot. I mean, I think there's a couple things. First of all, you know, when you're out there, you're living it, but then also then you go through it again in post-production. So a lot of it kind of just starts to really set like concrete in your head. But, but I think beyond that, and I think I speak for most everybody who works on the show, like we're all fans. I'm a massive fan. You know, I still remember, uh, I still remember watching season one, episode one. Um, I remember being so excited when Jerry got voted out that I think I actually took the audio of it and put it on a mixtape for a girlfriend. Like it was that kind of like weird level of fandom. So when I started working on 14, it was just like, it was thrilling. And as a producer, when you're on the beach, I mean, that is one of the aspects 
when I was a producer on Reach that I missed is like seeing it play out in front of you. And obviously, I I love the job I have now, and I I, I get to see things differently. But uh, you know, I'm a big fan too, and I love great seasons of Survivor, and I love great players, and so it's easy to remember those things the same way you know someone who's really into baseball can remember random stats about a player on their favorite team. Yeah. I mean, and I'm the same, like with Survivor, like if you ask me a moment from a show I was on, always, boom, yeah, I got it. It's still in my brain. Yeah. When you got the job for Survivor, was it anything akin to going through casting? Like, did you meet with Jeff? Did you like, was it a surreal, like weird moment in your life? Or was it just like a job application? No, no. Honestly, I apply. I think my first time I interviewed for the position was something like season 10. And, you know, and I, and I didn't get hired and I just kept, I was kind of relentless. And every time, every year I was always reaching out. There was a show that I worked on long ago that was um, Bert Van Munster, who does Amazing Race. His first show was a show called Wild Things and it was an animal show and an adventure show. And I worked on that. And a lot of the early producers on Survivor worked on that show as well. So they kept saying, Matt, you got to apply, you got to apply, come on, try and get on here. And so after years of trying, finally, there was an opening. And I got hired and it was thrilling. I mean, that was a, it was a dream job for me. You know, a lot of people don't love season 14, the original Fiji. I love it because it has a real special um, place in my heart. I mean, it was the first time to be able to see Survivor play out in front of me. And it was thrilling. Was it different than you expected when you saw it for the first time? Yeah. You know, I think most people will say this who either, whether you're in front of the camera or behind the camera, you're kind of impressed by the massive machine that makes up the survivor production you know it's very intimate when you're out there on the beaches um but then when you go to a challenge and and you see kind of everything that's going on and as a contestant you don't see all the stuff back at base camp i mean you know walking onto base camp for the first time it's it's you your jaw drops because it is a traveling circus and our and our crew has actually gotten bigger um as the show has, has gone on over the years but I didn't really know what to expect. And I was, you know, I'm also always impressed by um, the way everybody does their job and there's a real dance to it. And, um, you know, you see it, I think, out on the beaches with the crews and the producers, how effortlessly, effortlessly everybody works and how they work in conjunction with each other, which is something I think we're all really proud of. Yeah. And uh, for those kind of imagining that, if you have like 10 to 15 crew members on the beach with multiple cameras, You have to stay out of the shots. You have to make sure you're catching the action. You have to follow the action if it moves, all while working in unison to make sure that you're not in the way of someone else also trying to do that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And, you know, the other thing that I think you can speak to is how quickly you as a um, as a player almost forget about the cameras. I mean, it doesn't it, it isn't long before people are picking their nose with a camera right in their lens. I mean, you just it just it just your life just changes all of a sudden. You know, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? No, I know. But I also have always been aware enough to not pick my nose. on camera. <laughs> OK, like that's the one thing. Plenty of people yeah. pick, pick their nose on. But camera. the camera's not always right in your face. Like, that's, no, that's the thing true. is like you're looking at it and they're picking their nose from like point blank. But that camera could be 30 yards away. No. And, and I think that that is one of the things that we try and do that our crews are very good at is, is give people the space 
where they can kind of just play the game, live their lives out there and feel comfortable. We always want everyone to feel comfortable when they're out there and not feel self-conscious. Just relax, right? I'll tell you how to do it. Just relax. Just relax. It's the best (laughs) advice, man. It's just like, yeah, see the cameras and everything and you know this is going to be on national TV. Your parents are going to watch it. Just chill. (laughs) Can you not just chill? (laughs) But but you have to admit, it does after a while. It it becomes a little easier out there. It's so quick. Like it is so quick. And I knew it was probably going to be that way, but there's nothing you can do on that day one. I mean, we saw uh, Carolyn last season, too, with her talking to Clark, one of the producers, and him kind of telling her to, like, relax as well. It's like you warm up so quickly. And I think that's also the camera guys are good at making you feel that. Well, you know, it's funny you you speak to that. And that's, uh, you know, I read some some stuff where people said, oh, they showed Carolyn beginning of the season. They're just showing Carolyn for no reason. Just like this behind the scenes thing. I mean, it's funny and it's cool, but there's really no reason behind it. And the truth is there's all sorts of, there's, there's total reasons behind it. We wanted to start that season. That was actually an idea from one of our editors, Dave Armstrong, who's just a fantastic editor. And, and, and the purpose of showing that little bit of behind the scenes of Carolyn is to show the audience that this is a normal person. She's not an expert. Cut her some slack. Know that she is going to have to answer questions and suddenly be the storyteller of a multi-million dollar television show. But the other thing that that was I thought that was really interesting about it is that the other thing that we found from Brittany Crapper, who's also a producer on our show, she found the interview at the end of the season where Carolyn again is talking to Clark. And she actually says in the finale, do you remember when we first talked and it, it made it full circle and it showed her growth and how comfortable that she was in the interview where now she could, she's the one asking the questions. And I thought to see Carolyn's growth that season was something that was really amazing. And, and again, it's that reminder that the people who come on the show, for the most part, are normal people um, who we, we ask a lot of. Tyson, you're an exception. You're an exception. You're an exception. I was like, I'm not normal. No. That moment, I think, for me as a former contestant, it was like, that's how day one first interview for almost everybody is. It's just like, just answer the questions. You're going to be fine. I was like, I know, but that's not enough for me. Like, I need more direction. You're like, I'm asking you the questions. You just got to answer them. I was like, I know, but like, there's still a camera here. I don't feel comfortable. I've never done this. So, but then you do warm up. I don't know. Why do people warm up so quickly to that? Part of it is, I, I think, our four co-executive producers, who are the show producers out there, um, Clark, Don, Ryan, and Joe, part of their job is to develop a relationship with the contestants where, you know, it, it sounds almost cliche, but we, you know, one of the things I'd say is like, how would you talk to your best friend about this? If you had to explain to your best friend what you think of uh, Coach or JT, like, what would you, what would you say? And after a while, you know, you start to develop a relationship where it is, you know, these, these are your confidence. I mean, the producers out there, you know, they're also fans. They're cheering you on. They want you to play well. They want you to have, you know, a life-changing experience. I mean, I think that's one of the things we also, we really as producers want um, people who play the game to have an amazing experience. And that's always rewarding to see too, that even if someone doesn't win, they still take something uh, away from Survivor that they cherish for their whole lives. Yeah. For me, that is revenge. (laughs) If I don't win, I'm just like, okay, there's 19 people I need to seek revenge on at some point in my life. When will that moment come? I I don't even want to ask you who's number one on the list. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was going to go in a certain order with these questions, but after that response, let's just go straight to a question from Sophie Clark, who also played the game. I love Sophie. How emotionally invested do you get during the game, like these producers? Well, it's, it's interesting because before, a few years before I worked on Survivor, I worked at Fox Sports. So I worked on a sports show for about four years. And it was great because I would get to go to, like in one year, I went to the World Series, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, and the Kentucky Derby. I mean, you get to do all these cool things. And very often you find yourself up in the press box. And I remember like the first time I went into the press box and it was something like, it was like, I think it was the World Series. It was like the Angels and the Giants and someone did something extraordinary, hit a home run. And the crowd is going nuts in the press box. Everyone is just kind of sitting there and they're being professional. And if you look Anytime you look at like in sports, you're kind of not allowed to cheer. You're not, you, you can't, you have to keep it professional. And I would say on Survivor, it's, it's, uh, there's probably a mix of both. You know, we're always keeping it professional, but yeah, there's, there's times when someone does something that you can't help yourself, but like be amazed. And it's could be something that they do at a challenge. It could be a move that someone makes, um, calls an audible and does something crazy at tribal council. And yes, you, you get excited. And, you know, you're watching fire making, which, you know, is something that at the end of the game, which there's massive stakes. And it's it's thrilling to watch, but you always keep it professional. Okay. So you have favorites, but you don't show it. I mean, not beyond you. I don't know who, uh, <laughs> you know. Who, you can't who, remember who, who any my, other who, names. Who, 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 who my favorites are. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. That's uh, that's all I good wanted answer. from you, Matt. That's okay. why you <laughs> yeah. can shut, we can shut the podcast down now. That's all I wanted okay. from Matt. All right. Thank you. Just kidding. Keep it on, Ashley. <laughs> So now I'm going to get to our fan questions and I'm just going to read them word for word. They should have names attached to them, but I didn't do that research. I just copied the best questions. See, I did more work than you did. I brought my whole notebook, everything. I like that. Yeah. This is how I do this here. I woke up this morning. I was like, I have the thing with Matt. I drank coffee and I looked over the questions once. I came prepared. You really did. But yeah, I mean, I've been doing this for... Two, two years now, two and a half years, Riley. So. You're fantastic at it. You're fantastic at it. Thank you. <laughs> Again, I think we got what we needed from Matt. We can close <laughs> out on that note. Uh, okay, here's question one. I'd love to know the process behind picking tribe names and the tribe colors. And could we see some different color combos in the future? Well, you know, uh, the truth is most everything with the art department uh, Zach Jensen, who's actually Jesse Jensen's brother, okay. um, and Simo Ross, who run the art department, we kind of feel like they've earned the right over all the years to kind of, you know, we give them a lot of leeway and let them kind of choose whatever they want. So they are usually the ones who are picking the color combinations. Uh, they're coming up with the tribe names. Um, if it's something that's really hard to pronounce, we might give a note to maybe change something. But usually it is named after something if you know obviously we've been in fiji for a while so it's a fijian word for and there'll be something thematic it might be the fijian word for wave um the word for um mountain and the word for cloud or um you know it might be three different types of birds so they just there's usually there's always a meaning on it usually jeff explains it but we usually don't even have enough time to put it in a premiere because they're those those episodes are so jam-packed okay as a player, mm-hmm. we get told what color of clothing to submit along the lines of the color of the tribe. Not always, but right. some, sometimes you send in a shirt and they're like, do you have something that's like 
pinker and you're like, do you mean yeah. pink? And they're like, yeah, we mean pink. And you're <laughs> yeah. like, oh, okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, I always know that the tribe names come from a background or cultural thing based yeah. on location. Yeah. Colors, is there any rhyme or reason to colors? Just the art department thinks they're going to no, look good it, that season? Yeah, I mean, you know, it, they, it's it's what's going to look good next to each other. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think the one like random thing is like, what do we do for a, uh, a merge color? I always like the color black for a merge. I think uh, that looks great, but it's funny. Um, our post-supervisor, he's also a co-EP on the show. And he always goes, God, I don't like the way, you know, when it says the name, it's called a Chiron. When we have the Chiron of the, of the tribe name below, it goes, black, it always just fades in the background. We're like, okay. So we don't always do do black, or we might have a little bit of a tinge of another color. But, um, you know, it's it's funny. There, there was a big stretch there where orange was always like kind of a loser tribe. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like uh, purple has, has historically been pretty good, but it, it, it bounces around back and forth. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, you also have to, because I was like, you haven't done gold yet, but how would you make a buff in shiny gold? You're, are you talking about your shoes from season 40? Oh, yeah. I forgot about yeah. those. Yeah, I remember that. I remember your gold <laughs> shoes. Pretty flashy. They were so flashy. And those weren't my first choice. I sent some other shoes in and then I found, saw those in my closet. And I was like, oh, I should do the solid gold shoes. Why am I not? Yeah. And uh, I did. And now I think I burned them in the fire somewhere or something. Probably. 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 Do you... Mm -hmm. Never predict who you think will win at the beginning of the season and how often are you right? Yeah, I mean, I'm always kind of going, okay, I think this, you know what, this year I feel it from this person. I, I do usually do that and I've only gotten it right twice. And have you, every season, in every season you've kind of had that? Not every season, but most seasons I'll just, and it's not like an official thing where I write yeah. it in an envelope and end it, you know, and, and open it at the, end of the season. at the end of the season. It's nothing like that. But I, I have predicted it twice. Um, once was Wendell um, for Ghost Island. You know, he came in and he was so charming and likable and smart, um, mixed with some with some athleticism. I thought this guy, if they don't get rid of him early, this is the type of person who could win the game. And then the other time I got it right, I I I, I promise I'm not kissing up kissing up to you, but the other time I got it right was was Tyson uh, when he won. But it was not how I thought because um, that was we had Redemption Island back then. And I thought, OK, they'll get rid of him soon. But this is the kind of guy who could probably go on a run uh, at Redemption Island. He'll make some friends there and then he'll um, and then he'll win at the end. I did not expect the win that you came up with. I mean, you, I think, you know, I remember you got injured. You dislocated your shoulder. Yeah. Uh, right. Yep. And I thought, oh. And I actually think in a weird sort of way that worked to your advantage because you were seen as less of a threat. But I did not expect you to just kind of be able to go through the whole game the way you did and win at the end. So congratulations. But it was still because of Redemption Island. People were terrified of putting me in Redemption Island. Huh. And that, I think, yeah. was worked to my advantage. Yeah. And also the shoulder thing. You guys didn't even give me the opportunity to go home because I would have, if you guys would have been like, does it hurt bad enough to go home? I probably would have been like, yeah, send me home. What? But Jeff was just like, you would have gone home? Yeah. Come on. Come on. You wouldn't have gone. No way. I don't know. It hurt pretty bad in that moment. And Jeff came out and tried to fist bump my weak arm. And it, then he was like, well, the doctors say you're good. So get back out there. And I was like, oh, I don't have any say because it hurts pretty bad right now. So I don't know. I don't know what I would have done, but I thought it was odd that I, they didn't even be like, what do you want to do? They were just like, 
get back in there, bud. And then he tried to fist bump my hurt shoulder and I was like T-Rex fist bump. But thank, thank God we, uh, thank God. Yeah. You know, that worked, it worked out for the best. Right. Yeah. And people still ask about that. I didn't have to have any surgery healed on its own. 100% nothing. So the human body's a miracle. It is. Next up. If you had to pick one thing that's most difficult to do every season, uh, what is it from a production standpoint? I think probably the obvious thing is, is, you know, keeping the show fresh after 23 years, you know, that's obviously very challenging. And I think, I mean, I don't know if this is, well, you know what, it, it, maybe it isn't the hardest thing, but it's definitely the most important thing. And, and that's the decision-making on a cast. There is not a bigger decision in, in our year of production. There's two decisions who we're going to cast for the first season, who we're going to cast for the second season. I mean, and that's, that, that's everything because at the end of the day, it's all about the players and, you know, great players make great seasons. And you want people who are, who have a passion for the game, who are great storytellers, who are interesting, who want to compete. And so when we're narrowing it down, I mean, we still get so many applications and that process um, you know, we've already started uh, casting for uh, seasons 47 and 48, which is crazy to think. And we're months away from shooting. But that process will take forever. We have an entire casting team uh, led by Jesse Tannenbaum, who does a fantastic job. Um, and, you know, and it's funny, it's changed over the years. You know, back, I think, when you were first playing, there's a lot of people who were recruits. And we just mm-hmm. don't have recruits anymore. That's just a thing of the past. And we've found that the people who apply and try to to play the game who, who who aren't found at universal city walk you know these are the people who give everything and um and it's apparent when you see the seasons how much these people want and how what they're willing to do and um and it's, it's fun to see people who love the game play the game that has to be like going through so many applications and how do you even narrow it down at that point? That's like, because it's with editing and with the way the show moves and stuff, some of that can kind of cushion, you know, the the variance on personality, right? So, so the show is designed specifically to draw people's true selves out of them. Yeah, yeah. By making it hard and being able to peel that mask down after they get too hungry to hide who they are, conceal who they are. So then when you're looking at these people, like the chances of me getting selected to be on the show are ridiculous. How do you like, how do you even come to terms like going in and being like, this is definitely the cast? I I think, well, I mean, there's, there's kind of two questions. I mean, you know, finding people who are going to be good, you know, a big part of his storytellers, you you know, um, know, the process starts with um, the casting team, but narrowing down a, a big group. They bring it to Jesse Tannenbaum, who narrows it down. Then I'll actually do uh, a Zoom. Me and uh, Hudson Smith, who's one of our co-executive producers, will do a Zoom. Jeff will do a Zoom with, you know, I mean, we're talking over the course of the, of, of the year, talking to over 100 people, um, just to that part. Then um, once we talk with Jeff and the, the, the casting team, we kind of narrow it down. We present a group to CBS. That's a whole process that they, ha- they need to get through. And then the, then the tough part is really narrowing it down. I mean, there's been, there are times when we have people who are fantastic and we know that they would be great on the game, but it just doesn't feel like the right mix. So there's people who we'll hold off for a year and we see where they are in their lives. And you know what? 
in a year, they're going to be much better. Um, and so there's, um, there's it, the, the casting process is laborious, you know, and it's, it's, but it's worth it. And it's, it's also fun because you get to see a lot of people, um, you get to hear people's stories, uh, you know, and, and I, and you can, and you usually know within a few minutes, whether they are, are someone who we would consider. What, okay. what tells you that within the first few minutes? Well, a, again, that like, you know, am I drawn to them? You know, it's funny. Cause one of the things like Jeff and I always talk about this for him, he's like, is this someone I want to talk to at tribal council? Do I want to call on them in tribal council? Am I cheering for them? And for me, it's if I were a producer on the beach, would I want to go and do an interview with them? I mean, when we sit and we talk with the contestants, it's usually like, you know, it's like a 45 minute conversation. And the truth is like being a producer on Survivor out on the beach is hard. You know, it is it is weather. It's waking up early. I mean, you you know, when it's dumping rain, yes, we have rain jackets, but we're getting dumped on, too. And it's and it's boat rides that are, you know, brutal. So, you know, talking to someone who's fun to talk to, like, that's the best. And usually the people who you enjoy talking to are the people that that usually translates to television. So it's people who, um, you know, who can tell a story, who are engaging, who you want to talk to. And you see a little bit of passion in your eyes. I, Riley, I see the passion in your eyes. Have you applied? <laughs> no, I have never applied. Not yet. Tyson yeah. keeps trying to get me too. So maybe one day. Okay. Can you tell a story? Can I tell a story? Right. Oh, no. and don't tell a story right now. I'm just asking you if you can tell a story. Oh, I hope so. I work in I work in media. You know, I'm an editor. I, that's that's somewhat akin to being a storyteller. So yes, I hope yeah. so. And also, Clark, one of your producers, uh, yeah. after oh no, actually it was uh, maybe it was the EP before you, Burris, somebody mm-hmm. after Token Chains, they came up to me and said. The great thing about you is you were telling stories and being funny, but it always related to your experience in the game, which is also, Mm -hmm. I think, something important is being able to take the things that are happening around you in that moment and being entertaining. It's not just about like telling an anecdote about the frog and the toad or whatever. It's about like having it relate to what's happening to you currently. Yeah. And what the experience is like and, you know, and it just... There's people, it's, it's, it's charisma, you know, it's, it's, it's having people who are charismatic, who, you know, you're drawn to. And, and sometimes there's people, you know, within, you know, you know, within two minutes talking like, oh, that person's going to be on the show. They're going to be on the show. I remember when we first talked to Tony, I was like, okay, this guy's going to be on the show. We're going to go through the whole thing. We're going to interview people. We're going to talk to him. We're going to go through all the tests. We're going to send him to CBS. We're going to do that. But but this guy's going to be on on. the show. But he's on. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I also want to defend recruits just a hair because nothing okay. is better. <laughs> nothing is better than watching someone who's never seen the game try to figure it out on the floor. Yeah. Like there's something to that. If they don't last long, it's and most of the times they don't, then it's, yeah, a flop for sure. But once in a while, there's a recruit who on the fly is just figuring things out. And I kind of like that no, once in a I, while. That, that's true. That's true. And, and, you know, it, I think for everybody, there's a big learning curve, but for someone who doesn't have the experience that, that, that can be enjoyable to watch too. <laughs> it would be like, it'd be like, Hey Matt, we're going to put you on the Lakers just for like a quarter. Yeah, like, exactly. That's what I'm quarter, saying. I just watch people just like destroy me and dunk on me. Like, that would be fun for a, a quarter, maybe five minutes. But, uh, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so like maybe once every five or six seasons, yeah. just find someone who someone famously who's like i don't watch tv <laughs> yeah like when like that's like the first thing that if anybody approaches me and they have a buddy 
and they're like, hey, I love you on Survivor. And their friends, like, they have to get it in before anything else. They're like, I don't watch TV. And it's like, oh, you don't? So what are you doing? They're like, I watch Netflix and Hulu and Paramount Plus. I'm like, that's all TV, guys. That's, all of that counts as TV now. What are these guys talking about? Next question. Yeah. Can you describe the feeling as a producer behind the scenes when a new twist in the game goes off as planned? Like you planned it, it's coming up, you envision how it's going to work out and it works out. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's great. You know, it's like, it was, you know, like I said, blood versus water was a big swing for us and that worked out well. And that was thrilling. Um, I, I think that, you know, anytime we, we do a twist and works well, it's great. The thing that I love is when contestants do things that we weren't expecting. Yeah. You know, we had the cage twist in Carolyn's season and, um, Jimmy Quigley, who, um, is one of the producers on our show. He, he, he's, he comes up with a lot of our creative, um, he, he's just a fantastic producer. He'd been kind of pitching this idea about this cage and we didn't have it quite right. And finally for that season, it seemed like the perfect time to do it. And it was so fun to watch people kind of be flummoxed by it. But then you see Carolyn like doing this thing where she's going to take red sticks and make an X and see that this other thing grows. It's, it, it was so fun to watch because we wouldn't have thought that. Or when we did um, knowledge is power, you know, we're like, okay, let's try this thing and see what happens. And to see how people have played with it differently over the seasons to lie, like, well, you know, I think so-and-so has knowledge of power, so you should give me this. Like people, when, when we cast, you know, smart, creative, fun people, they tend to take these twists we throw at them and use them as tools. I mean, that's the, that's the thing like really good players do, that they'll use these twists as tools. To use them more than just what they are on the surface. Yeah. Fans have asked me what twist I would like to introduce to the show myself. And it yeah. was called the candy wrapper season where you just hide a bunch of clues to advantages with no advantages. But it's like the <laughs> it tells you how to use the advantage and you just tuck them away everywhere. So people are finding and assuming that somebody has that thing, but nobody has any of it. But if you didn't want to get that wild, you could just do like one of the advantages is uh, survivor stationary that has like, five uh advantage lists on it so you can use those like you have them or someone has them yeah well keep going come on you got others for me i yeah <laughs> i do have more for you but that's all you're getting <laughs> okay all right because <laughs> that's all you're hearing all day long i know that yeah. your job is just like oh you work on survivor how about this yeah. and my dad texts me every season with 10 new ideas like what about like a father of a former contestant and than his two yeah. most loyal employees from work. <laughs> that's your that's your dad's idea is a father of a former contestant on the show. My dad, <laughs> when I first got on the show, my parents were both like, do not select us for the family visit. Do not. We don't want to be on TV. We don't want to do any of that. We just like to watch. And then they've slowly warmed up. But then my dad will send something like that. I'm like, do you really want to be on TV, dad? Do you really? He's like, no, I don't. I just, you know. But it's not really that blatant, but it is pretty funny. <laughs> what about the opposite, Matt, when you have these grand ideas for this twist that uh, misses the mark, either the contestants don't see it or they don't utilize it uh, as strongly as they could? Uh, that's not fun. I mean, I mean you know, I mean, <laughs> how but, often you know, does it happen? I mean, I don't know. I'm not too often, but I, I think Jeff has talked about this before. And like, I have, I have a big flub on my record. Um, I had pitched for a long time that we should have a clue to an advantage stuffed in a fish 
so that like a tribe wins a bunch of fish, the clues sitting in there and like wrapped in a tube inside of a fish's mouth. They mm-hmm. go to clean it. Someone goes, Oh, cause like, you know, people always are checking like under a bowl and furniture yeah. and different things, but you don't think to, you, you don't think to look inside of a fish. Yeah. All of a sudden my survivor stationary ideas sounded pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I thought it'd be really fun <laughs> to do that. And I kind of pitched it and everything. And Jeff was like, I don't know. And I was like, come on, let's, let's at least give it a try. And one of the good things, Jeff's always like, if you, if you really feel passionately in an idea, he definitely hears you. And so I was so excited. It was on Jonathan's season because he was the one, his tribe won every challenge and they won, mm-hmm. they won the, the, uh, 10 fish. And I had pictures of, you know, people were sending me pictures of what this, what this note that was shoved inside this fish's mouth looked like. And they brought it back to camp and I was um, texting with the producers. How's it going? How's it going? Like, well, Jonathan just went down, cleaned that fish in about 30 seconds and threw the bones, uh, the guts and the advantage and the clue to the advantage into the ocean. I was like, uh, well, that's a bummer. That didn't work out like I had thought. So that was one that, that for me had, had, had failed. That must happen sometimes where the advantage, like you've seen the bench ones where people just like yeah. don't even look at it. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, yeah. But you know, it's funny, like even on the bench one, that was actually kind of fun because like seeing them, because that was actually a different way, we were, different storytelling where Jeff could say to the audience, like we couldn't have, like if, if we had to do it differently, I, this is like, you know, these things you learn as storytellers. If we had done it differently, Jeff could have, before the challenge, could have walked over to the fish and said, hey, I'm putting this advantage inside the fish. And he shoves it in the fish. So the whole time, the audience is aware that this advantage is there. They're having the same experience that we had. But I wasn't thinking that way. And I should have. Because then, if Jonathan is slicing it open, and we have close-ups of the fish, the audience is going, oh my god, he's going to find this, he's going to find it. And then you see that he doesn't. And he throws it in the ocean. Like, that would have been even though he didn't get it, that would have been a hit as far as an advantage goes. Right. It's all these things you learn. I was hoping you were, weren't going to tell us what actually happened to the advantage. Like, it'd be like, somebody ate it and there was toxic ink on it. And we <laughs> aren't going to tell you who from that tribe. It's floating, it's floating around the South Pacific someplace. Yeah. Somebody's going to find it on a future season yeah. and be running all over looking for that thing. Yeah. Do things from past seasons... I get found that have any significance on the show? No, nothing significant. I mean, there have been times when someone's found like an old tree mill wrapped up that someone shoved um, here and there. I remember when we were in Samoa, someone found a broken piece of clay that had the name Ozzy on it. You know, it's okay. like, you know, just like little things like that yeah. have happened, but nothing, nothing big. Yeah, I found fishing lures from the season before, I think, like tailed yeah. up on the reef that we used, but nothing significant either but i just was picturing like a clue being found from the season past just buried in the sand somewhere uh let's get to the last question okay wildlife and i know some of this like i'm sure they edit and add the close-ups to look like the monkeys listening or the crocodiles snapping while somebody's doing something which is true that's mm-hmm. you know, b-roll kind of in there but besides africa which season had the closest calls with wildlife well, if you're, there was the original Africa, but then we went back in Gabon and, you know, famously elephants came into their tribe camp, which I was there for, which was amazing to watch. I mean, to all of a sudden see elephants cross into a pond and kind of stand out there. And I remember the, the shot of the contestants 
uh, Luke Cormack shot. And I remember he was down low and he was looking up at the contestants and they were, lo- they were looking at it as if like a spaceship was landing because it was, it's insane. Like I've been living here in this place and all of a sudden elephants are walking. And that, that was amazing when we were in some, an elephant, I mean, a, a, an animal that really uh, affected production when we were in Nicaragua, I mean, we shot four seasons in Nicaragua and those howler monkeys are crazy. Like, they are so loud. And in the morning, they wake up and there's no way as a contestant you're sleeping. And they're screaming at each other in the morning, especially. And you'd be in the middle of an interview and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And they're just, like, they're just so loud and you're waiting for these monkeys to stop. And to make matters worse, when you're walking along paths, they would sometimes try and pee on you or poo on you. Like they would look down and then they, I think they were just doing it. I don't know why they do it. Just I don't know if it's a joke that they think it's funny. Yeah. It can also be small things. And and Tyson, once again, I'm going to turn it back to one of the classic seasons of all time, Survivor Token Chains. But I don't know if you guys experience this, but at our camp, I mean, when you're on Survivor as a crew member, it is tough conditions as well. And we had something called proto beetles. They're these little beetles. Pato. I think Pato. Pato? Is P-A-T-O, it Pato? Maybe. We didn't have them. But okay. I knew of them at Ponderosa after. So this is what it is. This is what it was. These beetles, they're harmless unless you smash them. And these these little beetles would land on you in the middle of the night and you, you know, you'd slap your face. And then the, the whatever they had in them that was like their blood or something was acidic. And so you'd end up with these big burns and welts all over your face. And so like people, and you'd be eating, you'd be eating lunch. And they would drop from the ceiling, like into your food. And these proto product, whatever these beetles were, would would cover people. And so like, someone would wake up and they'd go, "Yeah, I just got hit." They'd have bandages all over themselves. So, <laughs> so I, I don't know. It's not elephants, but they definitely were not fun. <laughs> I I remember getting to Ponderosa and Caitlin, who has been in casting for a long time. She was in Ponderosa and she had bandages all over her body. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? And she's like, do you not have these out there? These are these bugs. When you squish them, they squirt acid on you and blister like like a burn blister. And she was just like every day she'd wake up and have a new bandage on her somewhere. Yeah, terrible. And I never experienced that. But it seemed like everybody on production was. Did you get did you? have any of I, I i never i never did but I, I do want to say the other thing is the with the wildlife i mean that is something um a lot of our uh shooters um when they're not working on survivor it's not like they're just working on any, like on anything a lot of them are um work on nature documentaries they're in africa you know dealing with all these animals um a lot of them are uh really talented um shooters underwater so like I, I I'm super proud of our crew and and the things that they're able to capture, whether it's you know I mean the beautiful sh- shots of sharks or whales or dolphins. Um, but you know when they're when they're at camp and contestants are off at challenges, they're shooting all the wildlife around there. So a lot of it is the wildlife that they're getting that is that is surrounding contestants all the time. Yeah, and I've I am a wildlife guy. I love to see wildlife. I I, I know, and I learned that if you see a crew of camera guys all huddled together quietly with their camera shooting off in the distance somewhere, if you just look to where their camera's aiming, you're going to see something cool. And yeah. I remember in uh, Brazil, toucans and uh, macaws and all those types of birds were all over. And uh, so like early in the morning, like when you first get up and th- nothing's really going at camp, 
you could see the camera crew like on the sh- banks of the river filming birds. But see, I, I love I love hearing that because I think that's one of the things that yes, it's a game and it's all these things, but I, I think that players, no matter how how long they end up out there, I think if they take those moments to kind of soak all that in. Because when else you you just don't get this chance to do this. It's like such an amazing thing. So it's like if you can like soak in those moments and you appreciate those moments, it's it's it really Survivor has a lot to give. And so like those kind of things that you're saying, I love that you that you Father Nature, mm-hmm. uh, you know, appreciate that. Yeah, it, laying at night on Exile Island and watching the uh, flying foxes or fruit bats fly over oh, at yeah. dusk, you're just like, oh my gosh, those are giant bats! Like all of that is insane. Um, I wanted to go back to token chains real quick because the second part of the question is asking about uh, snake wranglers for shots at tribal council. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this at token chains. We got back from tribal council late one night and we were getting the fire going and Aaron was about to lay her head down on a rock because that's what we use as pillows apparently. <laughs> <on Survivor. laughs> Very comfortable. She's about to tilt her head on a rock and as and it's like so dark you can barely see. And right before she does, she's like, "There's a snake coiled around the rock," and there was a coral snake coiled around the rock that she was gonna put her head on. And the second that she was like, "There's a snake," somebody from production was on a radio. A guy with snake tongs and a pillowcase came in and they yeah. removed the snake. But yeah. I remember that being a very close call, and I also remember multiple times. Anytime you said snake in Brazil production would shut it down for this guy with snake tongues to come in who i'm assuming was a professional snake handler yeah i mean we have a lot of um we always have someone you know we have experts in every category and there's always someone there who takes care of animals and you know in in that case it's not like um they they always are taking care of the the animals you know I, i think we pride ourselves on we come to a location to shoot and we um kind of like the boy scout thing like you 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 make it better than when you left and i think that we try and do that um and i think we do it well um we we leave places better off than when we were there and we're always taking care of the animals that are out there and so like these people like geek out it. they love you know we put experts out there they love it they're they get super excited oh well oh did you see that bird and like, I, I didn't and they tell you it's this crazy bird that you only see you know on thursdays in october yeah um, but we always get shots of it pretty cool so along those lines the tribal council shots with the animals are mm-hmm. those wild animals brought in or are those yeah they're usually yeah we'll wild find them animals. somewhere close yeah, yeah. i mean here's the, and i'm gonna change the argument like one thing i just want i think that you can speak to you know you talk about tribal council and it's like tribal council is this amazing thing that the audience the actual build of it the audience sees like 40 percent of it you know yeah. there's so many things um, that are there for the contestants that the audience is never going to see, but it's to put you in the environment. And I think it's one of the things that I love about our show that we are able to um, do stuff that's not just for the audience. It's not for the cameras. It's for the contestants to feel enveloped in this in this environment. I, I, it's one of the things that I I think Tribal Council every year. I don't know how they come up with a new design that's interesting and fun and you know the different uh you know pens that they use everything it's just like it's it's fantastic and even like when you walk into tribal we could it could look like a you know the audience isn't going to see what you're seeing as the contestant but we want to build everything out so it feels like you're in the environment but i also think that uh 
a thing that the audience maybe doesn't also understand is it's real. When you go into that tribal council and it looks yeah. like an old rickety pirate ship, like they build an old rickety pirate ship. It's yeah. not like a facade, like you're walking down Wisteria Lane on the Desperate Housewives and you just tip the front thing over and there's like a studio behind it. This is like right. you, the jagged nails coming out of the, out of the floorboards. That's all real. Yeah. Like the, whatever they've done to age it, to make it look real, it's all so real. It's not, yeah, it's not a facade. The art department does a fantastic job. I mean, it's it's the small little details, um, you know, like what what they do. Here, say I also did. I said, I think this is this might have been your water bottle. I don't know, back from Token Chains. But you see, like all the little details and everything, this little quirk and all these different things. And like, is it my water I, bottle? I don't know. I don't know if it was, but it is a water bottle I got from that season. But like, you know, just like the small little thing. I have a bunch of like random Survivor shit, just that I over the years accumulated i don't have space for as many of it as much of it um back then but if you look at like the torches like yeah. they're just they're beautiful beautiful works of art all I mean, carved um, yeah yeah carved it's amazing yeah it's true and that could be my water bottle because usually like the sting of defeat i'm just like yeah. somebody whoever's closest to me you can have all of this stuff i don't want it and they're like you can probably put it on ebay i was like i'm not going through that like and it's insulting. It feels sad when you put something on eBay and they're like, oh, Tyson's thing, $5. And you're like, ouch. <laughs> it's a blow to the ego. So I'm glad you have that if it is mine. My favorite though, which I think... That's what I was just going to ask you. My favorite thing from Survivor, mm -hmm. which again, it's a podcast, so you're not going to be able to see it. You can't see it. But this... Oh my I don't know if you God. know what this the is. Stick. Yeah. <laughs> this is the stick. I had actually, what's funny is I had a... Um, a stand built for it that is beautiful and intricate, but the stick itself that um, Ozzy carved, Jason Siska um, wow. fell for, and Eliza blew her head over um, this. This and it actually made an appearance in Ghost Island. But the uh, effing stick is 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 really. It was funny because it's one of those things that when Jeff threw it in the fire, I got on the radio. I was like, "Hey, can someone please pull that out of the fire?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm keeping that thing. That's just too funny. So it's been this, it's, it's the one thing that I have that I, that I still, you know, I don't see myself ever getting rid of. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I thought of a great uh, present for you. I'm going to have Ozzy, uh, I'm going to commission Ozzy to make a stand for you to go with the <laughs> stick. <laughs> I'm sure this was, this was carved by like a, a, a Palauan carver. I mean, it just, yeah, it looks amazing. amazing. It looks amazing. Stick, yeah. not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. The the stand doesn't match the stick. So, uh, Riley, before we shut this thing down, do you have anything that uh, you'd like to ask? Yeah, Matt, what was your what was the your favorite or your most memorable moment on location on on Survivor? Well, I, I mean, you know, what? It, it really might be. It, season sixteen had a lot of moments. Uh, I was hoping you were saying Tyson's vote out in, in season 20. No. I, uh, no we no, try to purge that from our memories. That, that one that one hurt my heart. <laughs> I remember being out on the beach, coming back from the challenge where Eric Reichenbach had won, um, had won immunity. And um, I was thinking to myself, okay, so what's the story going to be? Because this, this, you know, it's pretty obvious what they're going to do now. I don't imagine it's going to be too interesting. It's like, ah, it's really you know, it, it, it might be kind of a boring, it might be a boring finish to this episode. And I remember we were sitting on, sitting on the beach at the time, Joe Leah, who's one of our 
co-EPs and producers on the beach now. He was my segment producer. And we were sitting there watching these women start to have this conversation. And Suri says that she's going to like, you know, talk Eric into giving up immunity. And I was like, this is crazy. You know, this is one of those, those situations where, where, you know, as producers, you, you don't know what people are capable of and you're watching it happen. And you're, so you're following the story of, of each of them kind of going to Eric and basically like gaslighting him. I mean, it was like, you, you, you watch this, this, this experiment happening right in front of you. And Eric, it was, he was starting to see it and make, it started to make sense. And I remember Joe and I left the beach and we go, I said, what do you think is going to happen? He goes, I don't know. I, said, I don't know either. And we're like, okay, I guess we're going to find out at tribal council. And watching that play out was like, I mean, talk about, it's like, you know, it, it'd be like in a basketball game being down by 30 points in the fourth quarter and coming storming back and hitting the game winning three. I mean, it was just watching that as a producer out on the beach was, was pretty thrilling. And at the time, we knew it was amazing, but it's almost now grown as far as like, like how legendary that moment was. So that'll be that's one of those moments on the show that I, I I will never forget. Do you know where that immunity necklace is now? Well, I think we used I think we used it in Ghost Island. You know, I think um, I think Wendell found, I don't remember, but we used it in Ghost Island. I mean, you know, Ghost Island was actually a lot of fun because we were able to like you know a third of the stuff probably came from my office but there was a lot of things we got to we got to pull out we, we contacted different people um ec- players collectors all sorts of people for all the different items so it made an appearance uh in ghost island and i'm not sure where it is now interesting maybe we'll see it on but, ghost Island. but i have too. to say er- eric eric has always has has been a great sport about that you know oh my gosh. And, and i know he, he's got that hanging over him but you know yeah I can't even imagine if Heroes Villains was my last hurrah on Survivor and that's all I had to answer to all day long, like Eric answers to that. It's like, yeah. uh, it really is. Uh, he takes it in stride. He, and he was one of those early super fans who came, you know, nowadays, you know, half the cast is that excited about Survivor. Um, yeah. And he had a real passion for it. And so I always appreciate that he's had a sense of humor about it. Before we shut down, survivors getting an extra half hour on tv so good what are we going to see what what are what's all the things we've been missing that we're going to get to see now? well i mean and that and that's the thing i feel like you know you'll see some without saying too much you'll see some stuff that probably remind you of older seasons in that there's there's some elements that i think are, that the super fans are really going to love but i also think that there's just a real opportunity for the character moments um you know as we right now we are about four or five episodes in on our on our process and this 90 minutes has, has felt great you know we haven't had any problem filling that because there's just so many fun character moments um that were that allow us to get to know the people a little bit better and yeah. and for me it, it's been it's been at first i thought it maybe it might be a little bit of a challenge but it's if anything it's just been a pleasure putting 90 minute episodes together okay well we're really looking forward to it matt thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, I'm going to send you a contract where you are not allowed to do any other podcast with anybody <laughs> else so that we have you to ourselves. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, that'll do it. Thank you all for listening. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, season 45. It's insane. Survivor's older than me now. There was a time when I was older than Survivor, but now it's surpassed me. I don't know if that's really how it works. <laughs> we do two a year. Yeah, it's going to surpass you eventually. But yeah, it's not like two birthdays saying. a year. It's the, it's still the same age. It's two birthdays a year. No, Survivor is two birthdays a year. 
I, I, Tyson, from your lips to God's ears, let's hope, let's hope that Survivor's around so that it surpasses you in years, not just seasons. Okay. I think it can happen. I think, yeah, it's a good formula. Uh, thanks again, Matt. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Riley. Yeah, thank you, Matt. That's it. See ya.